Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial Methodist Church. In today's message, Pastor David Cartwright continues a three-week series called Waking from Nominal Christianity. The series is based on three sets of questions posed by the well-known author and Christian apologist Timothy Keller. Pastor Keller offers the questions as a means of reflecting on the vitality of one's relationship with God. This week, our questions invite us to consider how deeply we are being impacted by Scripture. Like a tool that reaches our innermost being, the Bible holds words that both challenge and comfort us. As we go to today's message, let us open our hearts to the word God speaks to us. So go ahead and grab a Bible. Uh, You're going to need it. You'll be turning to several places. I'll go ahead and give you a heads up if you want to turn to the book of Hebrews first. That's toward the back of your Bible if you need a clue. I shared with you last week that um, back in December, Renee and I were traveling and she had come across an article that she mentioned to me. It uh, referenced a a message by uh, Timothy Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, in which there was about a 90-second video clip of Pastor Keller, uh, obviously in, the, in a clip out of a message. I couldn't find the name of the message or where he had preached it, but clearly it was brought out of a sermon. But it, was, it had to do with three questions that he asked. Um, and I found the questions to be so powerful. Really, there are three sets of questions. They're not just three questions, but three sets of questions. And I thought they were powerful enough that we should spend a little time on them. So, as I mentioned last week, I am unapologetically stealing, borrowing, using uh, Pastor Keller's questions for us. They're printed in your bulletin. The questions for today have to do with um, the effectiveness of God's Word in your life, in my life, in our lives. We probably all have patterns uh, by which we encounter God's Word. And by that Predominantly, I mean today, the word made text in, in the Bible that, uh, by which God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, through the words on the page. How alive is it in your life? How, how much of a difference does it make in your life? We can all read Scripture. We can do our devotions morning, evening, midday, however often we do it, whatever we use. Um, but the, the, the question is, how much of a difference is it making in your life? And that's what these questions are designed to help you think about. And as I said last week, I can't answer these questions for you. Your neighbor can't answer the questions for you. Your spouse can't answer the questions for you. Only you can. And they're designed for you to be honest with yourself. And that's what I want you to encourage want to encourage you to do. Just be honest with yourself and see 
how alive can you give examples of how God's Word is impacting your life? And so we want to look at uh, some different scriptures this morning to just kind of help us get to that place. First place I want you to look is in Hebrews chapter 4 um, at verse 12. A lot of these scriptures are going to be pretty familiar to you. You will have heard them before. I want us just to spend some time reflecting upon them. In Hebrews 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, the writer says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The first of these questions is, how have you found Scripture to be alive and active in your life? It suggests that the Word of God is impacting your life, the way you live, your thinking, your patterns, your priorities. The writer of Hebrews, in, in the context here, has been talking about a lot about the, the Hebrew people and how they, in their supposed following of God, fell often into disobedience. You'll find the word disobedience several times in this chapter. The writer of Hebrews is concerned for the current Christian to enter into the rest of God. That's the picture, the word picture that he uses. God's Sabbath rest, the rest in which God brings his people home. He wants, he wants for the Christian to enter that rest, but he says, I, want, I don't want you to be like the people of old because they, through their disobedience to the word, failed to enter the rest. The people who went into the wilderness failed to make it to the promised land. Why? Because they couldn't stay obedient to God's word. And what this suggests is that in God's word, there is the power to examine us. Most of you have had the experience of being in a doctor's office or a hospital and putting on the gown, right? And usually when that happens, your instruction prior to putting on the gown is take everything off. Have you ever questioned that? I mean, like everything? <laughs> you mean, like I can leave on the underwear, right? No, take it all off. It all comes off. And so, and so you completely undress, you put on the gown, and you feel what? Naked. <laughs> yes, a breeze. Thank you for that. You feel, you feel vulnerable uh -huh, because you are exposed. There, there's a comforting feeling when you have those layers that protect you. They, 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 they keep you from being exposed, but you know under that gown, like, there's nothing left, and, and which for medical purposes, that's what the doctor wants, because the doctor can't do an exam unless he gets down to what's really you. He, she, I didn't mean that by gender thing. God's Word has the capacity in our lives to examine us. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Listen to the language. Sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. I mean, he's like in the deepest parts of you, dividing both joint, joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word has that capacity to get down to the very core of who we are and lays it open to God. And it's in that vulnerability that God has the opportunity to show us, a, give us a self-examination to show us who we are and impact our living. And until we give God that opportunity, we're simply pretending at being fully obedient. We have to provide God's Word that opportunity to really expose us, and to show us who we are. It has that ability. We have, to take, we have to provide it the opportunity. Turn over, if you would, to the Psalms. I'll give you a heads up. Just go to the middle of your Bible, lay it open. You should be somewhere in the Psalms. Psalm 119. There are a couple of verses in here that one will be very familiar to you. Uh, Psalm 119. Really, this, this whole psalm is, is just about God's law, God's word, and how, how beautiful and powerful it is. The writer of Psalm 119 says in verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Have you ever taken a preventative for something? I take vitamins or I take certain medicine to keep things from happening. Okay? Or I take certain measures in my life to prevent bad things that I don't want to happen to me. This is kind of what the writer is saying here. God, I have taken your word and I have put it where? In here so that it may keep me from sinning against you. God's word has the ability to keep us on God's path rather than straying one way or the other, okay? He goes on in the more familiar 105th verse of that psalm. Not a whole lot of chapters in your Bible have 105 verses, but this one does. The writer says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't know if, about you, but if you've ever stumbled through a house without turning on a light, there are certain things that can happen. Toes get damaged because you run into things. Shins get hurt, and nobody likes that. The writer says, your word, God, is, is like a light. In, in this world of darkness, it can shine the way for me. It guides us, it prevents us. It, God's word has that capacity to, to impact our way through this life if we allow it to. And so I, I, I would ask you this morning, when's the last time that you had a scripture verse? Even if it's just a partial verse or something out of the word that you kept in your mind, in the forefront of your mind, all day long. You just kept repeating it. You kept, 
You, you thought about it consistently. You, you filtered everything through it. Yesterday, last week, last month, don't remember. It could be so many things. Not too many days ago, for, for some reason, I didn't even plan it, but there was a, a phrase out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that, that stuck in my mind. Paul says in verse 14, uh, What fellowship has light with darkness? Why I started thinking about that, I don't know. I hadn't even read it recently, but it just, stayed, it just came to my mind. And like, all day long... I was just filtering everything through that. Every time I'd, something would come to me, news or you know, somebody would say something, I'd read something, and it's like that word just kept hanging there. What, what fellowship has light with darkness? And, and it was as if God was using that to cast out the things that I didn't need to take with me, to filter my own thinking and responses because whether you know it or not, we have responses to pretty much everything that comes our way. And they're not always godly. That word, that word just hung with me all day long. And it was an amazing experience to, to just have that as a constant filter throughout the day. See, God's word has the ability to do that if we allow it to do so. How is that happening in your life? How's that happening in your life? Uh, the next place I would have you to turn <clears throat> may be to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. You're welcome to look there if you'd like. Because that's actually the verse that I had posted to use during the uh, message today. as you're turning there, let me share with you the second of the questions that, that are offered to us. The second question is, do you find that God is calling you or challenging you through the Word? And if so, in what ways? Which suggests that God, God's Word has that way of defining, clarifying, reminding us of His calling upon our lives, clarifying it, setting priorities for us. You would be familiar with Matthew 4, verse 4, without even looking. Jesus is in the wilderness. Satan has tempted him. First of all, would you take these stones, turn them into bread? Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry. The tempter comes along and says, oh, it's easy cure. Take the stones, make them bread. You can do that, right? You're the son of God. You remember what Jesus said to him? It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I want to read to you where Jesus quoted that, because Jesus was quoting Scripture. Go figure, huh? If Jesus quotes Scripture, it's probably a pretty good idea for us to do it, right? So let me share with you what Jesus was quoting. This comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. The context is the people of God, the Hebrew people, ready to cross into the promised land, and the law is being revisited. Moses is saying to the people, God humbled you, this is out of Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
so that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, he is reminding the people of what God has already done for them. Brought them out into, into the wilderness where there was nothing. They had to be dependent on God. There was no other choice. Like God removed all the options from them so that he could teach them. I am the one who will be faithful to you. I am the one who will provide for you. So stop trying to do it yourself. Start learning to rely upon me because I have chosen you and set you apart so that I can make myself known to all people, all nations, through you. It really wasn't much different for Jesus, which is a remarkably re remarkable reason why he quoted this passage. Jesus is in the wilderness, about ready to begin a season of ministry on earth that would be unmatched by any. He has to know his calling. He has to know that God has set him apart uniquely for a purpose. And he would not let the tempter take him off track. No. I'm not going to give in whether it's to my hunger, to my desires, to my whatever. I'm going to remember that it is God who has called me it is God who will provide, provide for me, and I will stay faithful to him and not compromise that. You and I have a calling. You and I are set apart for the purposes of God. And we cannot let things compromise that. Let me share with you another passage. You can turn over to about the middle of your Bible, a little past Psalms, to the book of Jeremiah. I'm just going to plant this one in your mind so that you can um, go back to it later. This, this is a verse that really is best understood in the context of the whole chapter. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. Um, in Jeremiah 15, verses, verse 16, I'd put verse 16 up. I'm also going to share with you verse 17, which is not on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. Verse 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them. Your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Now, that verse in itself is just it's a pleasant picture, isn't it? Uh, Jeremiah using that vivid language, God, I found your word and I what? I ate it, I consumed it, I took it inside of myself. And, and, and it became for me a joy and a delight. Lord, I, was, I took your word into me and what happened? My heart was lifted up. I was, I was blessed, I, I delighted in it. Why? Because I know I've been called by your name. But the context of this, this whole chapter... Jeremiah is bemoaning the fact that all of God's people have turned aside and are now subject to the judgment of God. You read the chapter for yourself. I mean, it, it's a downer. There's a reason they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. 
Because he's, he's weeping over, over the brokenness of God's people and the judgment that's come upon them. And, but what Jeremiah realizes is that he stands apart. Because unlike the rest of the people, he has taken God's word and embraced it. He said, I've taken it in. All the rest of them, Lord, they've turned aside. They've cast off your word. They, they treat your word like it's worthless. But I took it inside and I find it to be a joy and delight. And then... And so you find out that in the next verse, he begins and says, I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers. Who are the merrymakers? It's all the rest of the Hebrew people that have turned aside. He's saying, I'm not participating with them. I didn't exult in them. And because of that, your hand upon me, I sat alone. And you filled me with indignation. And, so, and, and then Jeremiah goes into that struggling. So, Lord, man, you're, man, your word inside of me is delight, but... But I'm struggling, God, because I'm the only one. And I feel the weight of the judgment that you have. If you think Jesus didn't anticipate that the disciples would struggle with this also, let me share with you out of John 17. You getting your good sword drills this morning? Turn back and forth. Love to hear pages turning. John 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. So I want to share with you a couple of verses out of John 17. Now realize when you hear these, or when you read them, Jesus is praying, so he's talking to God about his disciples. So as you take that in today, just hear it as if God is, Jesus is talking to God about you. Because that's how I want you to hear it. Jesus says in John 17, verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Church, does the world love you? Well, you didn't sound that with very, you didn't sound very exuberant in that. Any people pleasers in here? Carol? You've already confessed it this morning. Chris? I am. I'm a, I'm a, they, I mean, I need to be in therapy. I'm such a people pleaser. That, that's another story. Jesus says, I gave them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Jesus goes on in verse 17 and, and makes a request. Very clearly and very succinctly, he prays, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God, your word is truth. Sanctify, which means make holy, set apart. Take your people, set them apart by your truth. Friends, if we are born again, followers of Jesus Christ, we are set apart to be people of truth. How do we know the truth? By the Word. The newspaper isn't going to give it to you. 24-hour news cycle is not going to give it to you. It comes from the Word.
Third question. A little more lighthearted now. What Bible promises do you find precious or encouraging right now? Which ones? It's been said that the Bible is chock full of God's promises to us. I don't know exactly how many promises you find. Depends on who's counting, I guess. There are a lot. But are there any that are particularly alive for you right now, meaningful for whatever point you find yourself in your life? Are you going back to any of them and just letting them uh, be a refresher, a refreshment, an encouragement, a, a guide? There, there are so many ways that God's Word can just give us some grounding in life. You want promises for a, a joyful life? Consider scriptures like John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Let me remind you, as I have several other times, that when Jesus is talking about abundant life, he's not just talking about what you'll experience once you get to heaven. He's talking about the here and now. He's talking about living life full of more joy than you could ever experience or ever expect by any other means. He has it and wants to give it. It's a promise to you. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Can I share with you a memory? Thank you for whoever said yes. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Several years ago, we were serving a, a church and a community in the eastern hills of West Virginia. It was pretty high elevation, and you got a lot of winter weather. I loved it. <clears throat> Not being a longtime resident of that town, I still loved snow. I grew up in West Virginia. We had snow, but in Richwood, West Virginia, you really got snow. We were coming. We were in the midst of the winter. Uh, most of the townspeople were all down because we were expecting this major winter event, weather event. And somebody asked me, they said, do you really like snow? And I said, by the foot. It, it was a passing comment at the time, but there's a reason I, I hold on to that. I said, by the foot. At the same time in my life, I had been dwelling on this passage. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay? The day after that person had asked me that, and I had made that response, we got an overnight snow. I went out and measured it the next day. You know how many inches of snow there were? Twelve. <laughs> now you might say, well, it's coincidence, right? I'll tell you how I took it. As one of God's many reminders of saying, I'm a source of joy that is just, you, you can't deplete. And I love to bless you. And I said, thank you, Lord. The snow is beautiful. 
You're finding it difficult to live a Christian life because the world pushes back? How about the promises of Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12? Blessed are you when men insult you and persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So also, also they persecuted the prophets that were before you. The world pushes back. People speak ill of you because you're trying to live a Christian life. Rejoice, because God's approval is upon you. Now let me ask this. Don't answer out loud, unless you just really want to. If you could choose between having the, the approval of everybody around you or having the approval of God, which would you pick? It's pretty easy to answer sitting right here, isn't it? Remember, God's approval is upon those who are faithful, even if nobody else likes it. If you're struggling with the assurance of God's favor toward you, or maybe that you've been walking in a way that you know God isn't pleased with, go to the promise of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we, if we will confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know, that's what the Word says. That's a promise right there in the written Word of God. And yet we get trapped in this, well, but I don't think God could forgive me. I mean, you don't know what I've done. No, but God does. And the Bible still says that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover every bit of it. All we have to do is claim it. Do you have any promises of God that are especially meaningful for you right now? Which ones would they be? You see, these are great questions for reflection. And like I said, I can't answer them for you. But you can. I'm not really worried about what translation you like. Modern, ancient, English, Greek, Latin, you know. Get the one that you can read best. But friends, let this word be alive for you in your life. It has incredible power to change and to bless. We just have to let it. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's word. You can watch our worship services online at www.rmmcwp.net. May the Lord grant you the light of his truth as you journey through this day.